Welcome to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Dennis. Take your assigned seats and listen close as the next hour will have you rethinking the public education system while you listen to Ross and his guests share their expertise and experiences in the field. Class is in session. Here is your host, Ross Dennis. That's right. Let's reinvent school, everyone. Let's not go back to the way it was before this pandemic. Let's move forward to educate. Today, we're going to talk about stopping the violence in our communities and our schools. That's right. Stop the violence now. What can we do to make our schools and communities safe? And remember, we're here to focus on what's possible, not on what's wrong. Our guest today, Mr. Greg Jackson. Greg's the founder and executive director of Heal Charlotte, an organization committed to building a bright future for our youth here in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're going to learn more about Greg and how they came to this work uh, a little later in our program. As always, in our third segment today, we ask ourselves, what have we learned today? To help us answer that question, we're joined by this week's respondent, Mr. Omar Parks. Mr. Parks is the director of MECAD's Career Pathways Program, a workforce development initiative that's transforming the lives of young people who face obstacles. But first, some context. During the late 1980s and early 90s, teen gun violence increased dramatically in the United States. More teens began to acquire and carry guns, leading to a sharp increase in gun deaths. In two recent academic years, a total of 85 young people died violently in U.S. schools. 75% of these incidents involved firearms. How do young people gain access to weapons? Well, according to a report issued by the University of Southern California, approximately 35% of U.S. homes with children under the age of 18 have at least one firearm, meaning that roughly 11 million children live in homes with firearms. Teens can also acquire handguns through illegal sales. American gun shows continue to be a venue for illegal activity, including unlicensed sales to prohibited individuals. And of course, media violence. You know, by the time an average American child reaches the seventh grade, he or she will have witnessed 8,000 murders and 100,000 acts of violence on television or some form of media. Some people say that so much violence on television makes American society, including its children, more violent. I'm going to turn to Greg for just a moment to see if he could help us understand what needs to happen for our communities to be safer than they currently are. Greg, tell us a little bit about your work and the positive things you're doing. Hey, Ross, how you doing? Sorry, I had to take myself off mute real quick. What's going on? Um, So, yes, Hill Charlotte is doing great work as far as what I'll stop the violence campaign. Uh, Just starting off with bringing education about gun violence and gun violence prevention. Um, and the rise of homicides in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, we found ourselves doing a lot of, a lot of events and um, a lot of programming to give kids structured time at, out of school. But one thing that we, we realized that we weren't doing was giving the education um, to the community leaders uh, that are running their organizations and giving them education about the root causes of gun violence. Uh, when we start talking about gun violence, um, we usually talk about the symptoms, um, but we don't we don't really uh, attack the root causes hmm. that, can, that can be involved in. Why are these kids in environments where gun violence is, is so high? Uh, so we've been doing that with our Stop the Violence Gun Violence Prevention Workshop, Restoring Our Communities. Uh, it's a 12-week workshop 
where we focused on uh, not only who we are as um, African-American people in America, um, but also who were we before um, we ever came to America uh, and what, what were our what were our ways of life and civilization and how did we move in society uh, before colonization happened? And then with that, with, uh, with that understanding, we start to understand Western ideology. Then we start mm-hmm. to understand the governing agencies that are behind the Western ideology. And um, then we start understanding the classes of people that are created through these governing agencies. And, um, and then, how the lack of resources uh, does not come to the street level hmm. uh, where you have a bulk of your gun violence that does happen in, in America. So um, we're really attacking it uh, from a holistic perspective, uh, but focused on giving everybody that education behind gun violence. Uh, Cause if you don't have that, you'll start pointing your fingers at the kids um, as if they're the, the main component of problem. You know, more than any, past generation, today's kids are far more likely to grow up and, you know, with parents who abuse drugs or get arrested or go to prison or disappear or fail to maintain stable families. So that whole combination of things, poverty, disownment, messed up adults, you know, who are by far the biggest problems kids face. And the mystery is why, (laughs) why a relatively small fraction of modern kids are acting so dangerously. Yeah. And then uh, and then to add to that alienation. Hmm. Um, which is which is also part of the structure of this this culture that we live in um, in America, where there is a, a group that is um, alienated from the rest of America, um, which which allows them to start uh, moving in different sectors of the underworld um, to, to to have a sense of surviving, a sense of pride, a sense of respect, a sense of manhood, um, um, to where now. Uh, you you really are looking at uh, if you step on my sneakers, that's a sign of disrespect. If you call me out my name, that's a sign of disrespect because I'm already alienated from this from this country that I live in. And I'm already not considered a man in this country that I live in. So now on this level that that these young kids are operating in, um, they, you start to see them go to extreme measures for for little pieces of respect. Wow. Oh. And, you know, it seems as though the response in most cases is superficial. You know, we look at things like clear backpacks as a response to violence in our schools or or metal detectors, when in fact you're attacking those root causes, those, you know, the symptoms instead of the symptoms. So tell us more about this 12 week workshop. You're educate. Who are you educating? Who are folks coming? Yeah, yeah. So we have um, we we partnered with one of my friends, brother Marifa Uqueli, who is the founder of uh, League of Intelligence, um, and we 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 opened it up to have uh, young kids that are a part of Hill Charlotte um, that are that are sixteen and up. Uh, so the information is, is is it is a lot of information. So uh, we targeted sixteen to twenty four. It's palatable for that age group. Um, and uh, we really get into the first four weeks is, is really focusing on how did we operate before colonization, mm-hmm. um, before, before we started to, to be in these, this Western civilization, um, and, and 
How do we get back to our roots of how we operate as a people? And, and I'm focusing on African-American kids, black and brown communities, um, because that is, you know, 44 percent of those homicides that happened in 2020 were, were African-American kids, 18, 16 to 24. Um, so we, we really wanted to say this is where we want to hone in on this demographic. And then me being a black man in, um, in America, I definitely understand the different the, the dynamics that these these young kids face uh, just just trying to survive in, mm-hmm. in this system. Um, so it starts off four weeks where we visit the past. Uh, we visit we visit what has happened before. Um, and then we start to focus on certain books that were that were made. Um, like Code of the Streets by Elijah Anderson or how East New York became a ghetto, uh, focusing on not just the violence, but housing, focusing on the governing agencies, the policies, the legislations that are built around um, creating these zip codes of poverty, um, going back to redlining, um, looking at what is new redlining. Uh, and, they, and then in the last, the last four weeks, we're all solution-based, uh, coming up with new solutions, creative solutions, innovative solutions on how we can attack gun violence from a community level um, and marrying the micro and the macro. And hopefully uh, these these community leaders and young people that come out of these, these workshops, they feel empowered to be able to say, I know where I fit at. Uh, I, I know that I'm either going to be in, in government or I'm in media or I'm in community undevelopment or I'm in white propaganda um, where where even we visit white propaganda where our our brothers um, are. Everyone is being used by this system to and, and, and the system wants you to perpetuate it. But we also we need this education to go to everybody and everybody needs to wake up and understand that we're all being used to keep this gun violence and poverty and lack of affordable housing um, in, in, in this cycle. And, and it's, it's been working for a very long time, but we have to attack the root causes to really get everybody in the next generation out of these situations that they're in right now. When you say it's been working for a very long time, you mean the dysfunction? That's the dysfunction, a- yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the system as it's been created, it's, it's been working for a very long time to keep people marginalized and in poverty. And then when you get into these poverty situations, you see a, a high a high level of gun violence because uh, people are dealing now in the uh, the streets and they are now surviving through that code. And that leads to a lot of violent behavior, um, a lot of gang violence, a lot of gang activity um, where where that is just very existent in the neighborhoods that we uh, that we're serving right now, and we're starting to see it, and we realize that education is a big piece, mm-hmm. um, a big piece that we're missing. We have to give the ed- the proper education to those that want to fight the system and revolt against the system. Uh, and when you say the system, I often think that all systems were designed to get exactly the results that they get. Right, the, a solar system our immune system, the criminal justice system, the school system, they were designed a certain way to get the results that they get. And I don't think it's an accident, frankly, that so much of this is happening in some of our marginalized communities. You know, recently a a fight broke out at Harding High School, Harding University High School right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
yes. around lunchtime on a Tuesday, late November, a pistol was found stuck in a 15-year-old's backpack. At that time, that was the 17th gun found on a Charlotte Mecklenburg school campus. Within two weeks, another six firearms were found at CMS schools, including another one at Harding. The 23 weapons broke the CMS record for guns found on campus in a single school year, a record going back to 2007 and likely longer, though publicly available state data only goes back that far. And this year's only, it's not even over yet. So overall, more than 100 weapons have been found on school property, including knives, guns, tasers. How did this radically uh, and dramatically, you know, increased number of weapons begin? When did this start? How did this happen? Where are they coming from? Look, the access to guns, um, especially as, you know, I'm from New York. So as I started to come down south and realize that there's a lot more liberty and freedom um, and and having guns, uh, especially open carry and things of that nature. But um, a lot of these kids are finding guns inside of the homes. They're also finding guns inside of cars. People that are listening, please lock up your gun, lock your guns up, get gun locks. Um, do not keep them in your car. Um, all of the uh, the truckers that might be listening to this podcast, there are young kids that are preying on your trucks uh, to get in your glove compartment and they will not take your wallet. They will not take your belongings. They will take your gun. Um, things have been happening across the city in Charlotte. Um, I think, I believe CMPD, uh, gathered about 2000 guns last year. My goodness. Yeah. I've also read recently that, you know, young people can make their own guns from parts that they buy online. Yeah, but I'm not seeing a lot of that happening. What I'm seeing is, and and then I'm, I'm seeing gun shows, gun shows aren't heavily secured. Mm-hmm. Uh, those gun auctions, they're not heavily secured at all. And uh, young young people are getting out there um, and they're being used as mules to be able to go and take guns. I mean, that is that's where I'm seeing it right now is through the homes, through uh, through um, thefts of cars uh, and then also at gun shows. Um, mm-hmm. They have been just a lot of guns that have been taken at gun shows. Yeah. Anymore, I assume that everybody has a gun unfortunately not me but i just yeah. assume that you know we, we walk the earth and and people are carrying and i think there's a sense of desperation i notice a sense of hopelessness among our young people at the end of this pandemic they've had two years of you know isolation they're already feeling isolated but here they are co in the school with you know teachers are absent subs are absent they're not they're being tested on content that they were never taught they just you know, I can I, I just sense that there that alienation you re- referenced earlier is pronounced more than ever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it definitely feeds into their self-efficacy. Right. Right. Do you, do you really believe that you can get yourself out of the situation that you're in? And most of these children right now don't. They do not believe that. And they're starting to lean on their own understanding of surviving within the neighborhood that they're in. I'm never going to get out this neighborhood. I mean, think about the opportunity task force report. We literally told kids, if you, if you were poor, you're going to end up poor. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what we told kids. Yeah. And um, it was publicized. And and I don't think we were very responsible with that messaging because a lot of kids listen to that. 
And a lot of kids took that and said, well, why? Why, why, why should I even try mm-hmm. to get out of this situation? I didn't um, think of that before. That's a, that's a new realization for me that they would actually embrace that and say, well, yeah, that's it. I may as well just pack it in. Yeah. I mean, we had teachers um, regurgitating that information. We had principals. It was such a hot topic. Um, and then you were starting to get funding for it. So it was something that people were advocating for um, that that could get you funding. Um, so it was publicized everywhere. And uh, we didn't think about what that would do to the kids. Let me give you this stat, man, real quick. Um, okay. So we had 155 firearms seized last year. 23 stolen firearms recovered this past year. That's 2021. This is CMPD. And with the assistance from CMPD, uh, the the team that they created, um, the Crime Gun Suppression Team, um, they managed to take 2,999 guns off the street. That's a 33% increase from 2020. Wow. And that is fresh from CMPD, uh, the 2021 report. Wow. I had no idea. This is the crime gun what? Uh, this is the crime gun su- suppression team um, that CMP- CMPD had put consolidated three units together mm-hmm. and they made the crime gun suppression team. And that was some of the uh, statistics of some of their work that they did last year, which is it's great work that they're doing, getting these guns off the street. But to think that's a 33 percent increase from 2020. Right. right. Um, you know, as we start to grow as a, as a, as a city and, you know, people were starting to travel here. Um, we have to be transparent about, we have a gun problem. Mm. You know, not just Charlotte, North Carolina. In fact, this goes out all across the country and all across the world, frankly. And we know that guns are a huge issue across uh, America from Parkland, you know, we, uh, from Sandy Hook, yep. from the gun violence that takes place all across the country in schools. Uh, there was a, a recent, shooting in yeah in at tanglewood middle school in greenville south carolina on march 31st a 12 year old died victim of a shooting inside of a building middle school yeah jamari cortez bonaparte jackson yeah so it's not just teens right now it's even gotten down into the 12 13 year olds yeah no and and talking to uh CMPD chief Johnny Jennings, uh, we were we were really going for the 16 to 24, 18 to 24. And he asked us to actually, you know, make some of our curriculum for the middle schoolers. Wow. So, Greg, this community is grateful for all that you do and you are doing and appreciate the challenges that you and your team face. We are going to take a quick break where we're going to learn a little bit more about MECED, the nonprofit that I lead here in Charlotte, uh, Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about MECAD, to donate, to support our efforts to transform the lives of young people who face obstacles, we encourage you to go to www.meched.org. When we return, we're going to continue with Greg Jackson and drill down on our collaborative efforts to reduce violence in our schools and in our communities. Don't go away. The best is yet to come. We'll see you on the other side. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from 
Harding, University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. The goal is to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough, that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MedEd, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think I, th I do think MedEd is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MedEd means opportunity. Family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways. We work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not. I don't know. Having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. MECED's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're, you're hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like you have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them didn't, don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and Mac Ed, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. Want to raise your hand and join us on the show? 
Call in to 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Ross Danis. Welcome back, everyone, to Let's Reinvent School. Today, we're speaking with Greg Jackson. We're talking about how we can stop gun violence in our communities and in our schools. You know, Greg's the founder and executive director of Heal Charlotte, an organization committed to building a bright future for our youth right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Greg was also, interestingly enough, a rapper and a sooth chef, sooth chef, excuse me, when the September protests began uh, a couple years back. He showed up with others to protest the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department at its headquarters the day after the shooting that took place here. But a crucial conversation that day changed his trajectory. And after creating his nonprofit, Heal Charlotte, he partnered with the police department to train officers on how to communicate with the community in volatile situations. And it's also created an after-school camp for at-risk youth in Northeast Charlotte neighborhoods. So Greg, take us, take us through this work that you're doing, particularly the education component of it. What's, what, was, where, what was the genesis of you know, the education of going back so far in history, working with police to understand that? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's important for anybody that's a part of an institution that's in America to understand the history of that institution. Right. And that there is the disconnection between that institution and the community that I represent is for a reason. Um, so specifically with the C- with uh, CMPD, our police department, um, I've been taking recruits to the International Civil Rights Museum before they graduate uh, from the from the academy to, to actually be officers, um, just for them to understand the dynamics of the neighborhoods that we stay in, the history between, you know, African American people and the institutions that govern us in this in this country, uh, and, and why there is a disconnect, and that that disconnect is real. That anger, that passion that comes is from a real place, and then not only that, but if you if you understand the legacy then you can change it and you can be dynamic in the future of the legacy. And I'm, I'm real focused on the future of policing, uh, the future, the future of this country uh, and us embracing that the history isn't the best, but when we understand the history, we can overturn it and we can do a lot of positive things from here. You know, we see many of the institutions around us respond to the rise in violence and the rise in, um, guns being found on campuses with yeah. things like metal detectors, you know, uh, seven of them now in high schools in our community, mostly black schools, I might add. Right. And, uh, and clear backpacks. So these seem sort of like, you know, taking your shoes off at the airport when you go through the TSA, they seem superficial, perhaps important technical solutions to adaptive problems, you might say. But do you feel as though they they also have to be in place, these kinds of responses, in addition to the education piece? I'm, I'm not one for the clear book bags. Um, I'm, I'm really not one for the symptom solutions. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I don't think they're sustainable. Uh, I don't think that there's longevity attached to any of those things. And for some of them, I believe is a, is a very big waste of money. Um, I, I, for one, know as someone that runs an organization that would love to be in the schools is that it's very hard to get into the school um, as as an outside entity. Uh, 
and to get in and to really to really bring some character development, some some skills, uh, some integrity to a lot of the programming that already exists in schools and then some relatability. Um, it's, it's hard. It's very hard to do that. It's frustrating, um, especially when you know that if there was a more of a community presence in school, and this is, this has been, this has been proven throughout the, you know, throughout the country um, with a couple of organizations and a couple of parents um, from communities that have walked into schools and said that we're going to have a voice here um, that crime has decreased because of that. Uh, I think we need to start taking more, more holistic approaches to gun violence. And there needs to be more of a continuum for gun violence prevention. Uh, right now, it's just such of a broad conversation and we're willing to try anything instead of what would really work. And um, that's, that's what we're gunning for with our Stop the Violence campaign. We're really saying, hey, we have a solution inside of the community for the issues that are, part, that are going on inside of our community. And let's stop, let's stop um, depending on people that are from outside of the community mm-hmm. to come up with answers. Here, here. Yeah. In, in this sense, uh, when they say don't reinvent the wheel, like reinvent, no, inventing the wheels are really, really an important part. You have to yeah. own it, right? Own the solution. Yeah. Sometimes you got to invent the wheel when the wheel is, when the wheel is dirty. Right. When the wheel has a terrible history and the wheel is contaminated. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's not okay for you to make innovations inside of that wheel. Sometimes you need to create a new one. And yep. um, you just got to be open to do that, especially in the schools, which is, you know, one of those one of the oldest institutions that have stayed the same over over a, a century. Yeah. And designed to, to stay the same. Very yeah. little has changed right in the in the history of our schools. In fact, they weren't even designed for uh, for black and brown children. They were white boys, not even girls initially. Yeah. yeah. So we've got to get past all of that. Uh, where, did, where did you base this? this work on? Did you look to other cities, other states, other organizations? Um, And yeah, Chicago, Detroit, Mm. New Orleans, Baltimore, New York, Um, you know, even looking at other cities in, 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 uh, in North Carolina, Greensboro, Durham, um, but LA, just looking at a lot of different places where poverty exists, where community undevelopment exists, where, where uh, marginalized communities exist. And then for some reason, gun violence is high in all of these, you know, different places around the country. And it seems like the system of to be able to put a certain demographic of people in one zip code, uh, whether it's, you know, doing it from redlining or doing it through housing vouchers. However it's done, we find a way to put people in these zip codes and then we give them lack of resources and opportunities. Mm. We, give, we give them undeveloped housing and then we tell them survive. Right. And if you think about it, if a parent doesn't know what to do in those type of environments, what is a child going to do? Um, and and uh, there's a lot of things that needs to happen from, from, from the macro and the micro. Uh, us on the street, that are doing the boots on the ground work, we, we have to be out there. We have to be in the school. Um, that has to happen. Uh, a lot of the gun violence that exists now is because kids have unstructured time. Right. By the way, I like the, the M's here, the alliteration, marry the, 
micro and the macro. Yes. Yes, brother. Yes, right? brother. It is so often we, we do this work and we think we have the answer, right? right? I have the answer on my level where I am. And we forget to marry um, our, our organizations or our programs with legislation, with policy. Uh, sometimes we forget to do these things because we're so focused on the now fix and uh, we need to be focused on the longevity of it also. What's going what's gonna to sustain the programs that we're creating right now? And um, that is really comes into policy and legislation and working with government, government to make sure that you have uh, funding that is sustainable also. So um, the micro and the macro has to live together. And the, the problem right now, specifically in Charlotte, is the macro operates in the macro. And the micro operates in the micro. And uh, we're both running through uh, those those doors, those revolving doors where you just keep going around. And we need to start working together and partnering and collaborating uh, much more. The macro needs to understand what it is to partner with a micro. Right. Otherwise, it's a cul-de-sac. It's a cul-de-sac. Yeah. Right. yeah, brother. So how are you collaborating with other community groups and nonprofits? Yes, um, currently uh, working with Lakeview, uh, mm-hmm. Jamal Kennard, who is over there in, uh, in, in the Lakeview neighborhood right now. And he's doing some great things of advocating for that neighborhood and getting them resources and opportunity. Uh, we'll be taking our Stop the Violence workshop over there, uh, partnering, partnering with people like Walmart. Uh, to make sure that the young kids are getting jobs, um, partnering with MECED, you know, uh, making sure that our young kids are, are attached to an organization like yours um, to be able to have workforce development, because uh, we do believe that we cannot pull kids out of the situation that they are in unless we have resources to match the resources that they had. Mm. They were selling drugs, making money. We can't just tell them, turn that off. And, and do good with us. And we don't have an alternative for the money that you're missing out on. So that that plays a ma- major role, plays a major role, making sure that um, these young kids have have jobs and have skills and training. Um, so yeah, we overlook that, don't we? You know, we, we put it all on them when, in fact, they're, they're just trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about the recruiting that happens, right? There's two evil. There's, there's, there's one good. There's one evil. The recruiting happens for these young kids at, a, at, at 12 in mm. these type of neighborhoods. Right. And the drug dealer or the guy that's in a gang, he, he's going to make sure that these kids have opportunity and resources to grow. Might be in the wrong field, but he's going to make sure that they have money, that they, their parents are taken care of, that they feel protected. If that means I got to get you a gun, he's going to make sure he does that. So as we're recruiting, just like the gang members are, we have to make sure that we're outdoing them. Whatever mm. they're doing, we have to do 10 times more. Because this this life of doing good is so hard to actually navigate. So when kids see us over here doing it, they don't see prosperity. They don't see they don't see getting out of the situation. So just just preaching good to them isn't going to work. We got to preach good to them and we have to match that preaching with with opportunities and real resources, real jobs. Yeah, we see a similar situation with the human trafficking around here where you, you can't just say to a young lady, well, just stop, you know, we'll come to this clinic. When in fact, you know, they they might be doing well, they might be being taken care of. 
yeah. clothes, etc. And so we need to find alternatives to all of that. What gives you hope? Man, um, these kids, these kids, besides my love for God, man, these kids, man, mm-hmm. these kids, when they finally get it, it is, it is nothing more worth, man, it's so worth it when they get it and they finally understand what's happening and they understand that they can be a change in this world. And that light bulb just pops on. Um, there's no greater feeling. Uh, there's no greater feeling taking a kid that was in a gang and now he's graduating from high school and he's going to college and he yeah. has a career. Yeah, man. Nothing that's, better. There's nothing better than that, man. That's mm-hmm. it. That's it right there. You know that you've you've sown a seed in the next generation of this country. And um, and that's all we want to be able to do is is help mold better people. Right. So you can, if you can't change the system, you can't transform lives. Well, you can transform lives and trust. Uh, you know, Tupac said this, man. He said, I might not change the system, but I can spark the seed of a mind that will. Oh, good Lord. Man. And that's from Tupac. That's from Tupac. Listen, I'm going to quote John Bon Jovi, who said, and if you can't do what you do, do what you can. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So we got both sides of it. You got Tupac and Bon Jovi weighing in, coming from a different perspective entirely. Yeah. But the same messaging, man, like even at Hill Charlotte, if everybody does a little bit, nobody does a lot. If, if, and that's our little bit is transforming what we can transform. Um, and making it better for the next generation, man. But when these kids get it, 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 is, um, it is no better feeling. So um, once again, everyone, our guest is the amazing Greg Jackson, founder and executive director of Heal Charlotte. We're going to learn a little bit more about Heal Charlotte in this next commercial break. Uh, you'll hear Greg talk about how he came to this work. And we encourage you to go to www.healcharlotte.com. Dot com. Is that correct, Greg? Uh, HealCharlotte.org. Heal, heal, so we'll see you after this commercial break where we'll ask the question, what did we learn today? Don't go away. We'll be right back. This man right here has opened this venue up to Hill Charlotte I don't know how many times. Well, I can tell you why. This man opened up Hill Charlotte to us because me and Greg sat on that bench right there and argued for two hours <laughs> about what he was going to do for the city, how he was going to make the city better. He had no plan and no idea, but on that bench, we sat right there, and that's where Hill Charlotte was born, on that's, that bench. That's right. Most people don't remember that. Most people don't remember that. I got a, look, I got a picture of me and you, and I'm like this. <laughs> That's all. I don't know what I was saying, <laughs> but it looked good. I still got a fish. <laughs> I know. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding, University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. 
them. We provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. The goal is to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough, that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MedCAD, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think I, th I do think MedCAD is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MedCAD means opportunity, family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections and and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would would, would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not, I don't know, having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. Want to raise your hand and join us on the show? Call in to 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Ross Danis. Welcome back, everyone, to Let's Reinvent School, a program that focuses not on what's wrong, but what's possible. Before the break, we were speaking with Greg Jackson from Heal Charlotte, who, who was talking about hope and how the young people he works with give him hope. They give us hope, too. And here at MECED, a person who knows a whole lot about how young people can inspire you and their lives can be transformed is the director of, of, our, uh, of our Career Pathways program, Omar Parks. Mr. Parks, help us understand, well, what did we learn today? You know, uh, thanks for having me on, Dr. Ross and, and uh, Greg. You guys have been great in having a really meaningful and insightful conversation into something that is often hard to talk about but needs to be covered more because our students are, um, they are, they are having this experience in real time. Um, I was more, uh, more than anything, I was impacted by your kind of, uh, Greg, you kind of confirmed what I've always grown up thinking and knowing is that these systems are in place and they're operating exactly how they were intended to. This is all by design. And um, I feel like the place where we start, uh, and you know, according to your commentary, you agree, is with helping our students, our young people, have an active and accurate knowledge of self. 
I think that's where it has to start. Our students, our young people need to know that we are more than just, you know, a group of people that came over on the slave ships and our, our greatness didn't start even with Martin Luther King, um, but that we come from glorious backgrounds and that we are not who the media portrays us to be. We're, we're more than what we see on the news, what they choose to report on. Um, I, I think if we were more intent on helping young people see um, the greatness within, then we would see uh, a, 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 a trend towards the right direction. You know, when you, you mentioned um, media and how much media plays a role in, in, in what's happening with our young people. And I couldn't I couldn't agree anymore. Um, I listen to a lot of music, a whole lot of music from all different varieties. You know, you, you, you quoted Tupac earlier, Dr. Ross, you quoted Bon Jovi. And I think that is also a part that there's something missing there. Uh, when, you know, Greg, you know, I think you and I are around the same age and I grew up listening to artists like Public Enemy and Brand Nubian, Boogie Down Productions, you know, Queen Latifah. And there was, you know, I also, I also listened to NWA and Mob Deep, Snoop Dogg, but there was a balance. There was a balance where I was able to have as much fun and, and party vibes with my music as as much as I would be able to learn about where I come from and what is going on around me. And I think, you know, that is as much of a part of it as anything. Um, and without that, like you said, Greg, you'd be forced, you'd be tempted to turn around and point the finger at the young people um, instead of looking at the systems that they are a lot of times born into. Um, yeah. So it's really reassuring to know that there are like minds out there that are, that are starting from the same place, you know? Greg, if you had one recommendation for the school district, what would it be? You're asking me or Greg? I'm, I'm asking Greg. Oh man. Um, so I'm very big on critical thinking. Uh, and I'm very big on um, self-identity <laughs> as, as O was talking. And I, I would love to be able to see um, new curriculum within inside of a school, inside of the schools where kids can identify with the history and identify um, with, with the curriculum um, so they can have this confidence of who they are moving forward in America. I think um, a lot of what we're missing out on is hiding the truth from these kids um, and, and they, they really don't walk into their full purpose. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, that, that would be, that would be my suggestion is to, to really get some, some real history for these kids to, to be related. To, that's relatable to them um, to help them have this self-identity of who they really are. Right. And of course, what you're saying uh, is quite controversial, isn't it? particularly in some states in the country where, you know, they talk about critical race theory. And uh, just, just the other day, Florida announced that they're, that they were rejecting 41% of their math textbooks because of, of uh, ideology, ideological issues. So yeah. critical, critical thinking. Oh my, I mean, who wants our kids to think critically for God's sake, they might be skeptical about the, the world. They might search for truth and value evidence. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very, I'm very big on critical thinking, man. I think we need to teach that to these kids. We automatically assume 
that they can do that, that they know what critical thinking is. Right. Um, and uh, I, I don't I think it's a disservice to them. So I would love to see something in the schools um, for critical thinking also. Yeah. You know, you know, the number one attribute associated with critical thinking is metacognition simply means to be able to think about your thinking while you're thinking. Mm. So, you know, a young person, when they confront a situation inside, they're going, where have I seen this before? How did I react in the past to this kind of a thing? Right. Right. You have to be yes. thinking about your think, your own thinking. Why do I think the things I think? Why do I believe the things I believe? Um, yeah. More of that, man. More of that. Yeah. More, uh, more of the, the challenging, the challenging of the system. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's much needed. And uh, when we're, when we're starting to give the kids the tools that they need to be able to not just be educated in the classes that they do have, but educated in life. Yeah. Where do you, where do you take a standardized test on that though? Yeah. You know, that's part of the problem I think is that we make important what's measurable like math and reading scores rather than measure what matters like critical thinking. Yeah. Mr. Parks. Yes. Thought, sir. Your thoughts. I think it's, um, you know, it, what you, what you all are speaking to is pointing towards how off, how it's also important that we get our students involved civically. Um, like you mm -hmm. were mentioning earlier, Greg, um, if our students had an understanding of how these systems work, how much their voice matters and, and, and being taught how to, you know, use their voice for good and talk about their real life experiences and um, use those to inform the people that make the decisions that will change those or, you know, become part of the new system that they want. I, I just don't, know if our young I know that I didn't when I was their age I didn't know that I could actually play a role in being the change that I want to see in the world and um, right. I think if there if there were more role models like like what I strive to be what I know you you, you are in the community Greg um, if there were more of us if I, I, I would let me rephrase that if there were more light shined on the work that people like us are doing then I think that um, it would have a positive impact because the, the truth is there are people in the communities that are doing the right thing and holding people's hands and pointing them in the right direction. But that's just not as juicy a soundbite or, or a news piece as some of the other things that they cover. So I just feel like this is a very important conversation. It needs to be highlighted as much as possible. Um, and we need more of it for sure. Greg, thoughts? Yeah, no, he's he's hitting it right on the nose, man. It's um, you know, the the curriculum and and the way that kids are taught, it just has to be challenged. I'm I'm a very big advocate for kids understanding the system, young adults understanding the system and getting involved very early while they're passionate and they're bold and tenacious hmm. and, and they and they want to change and they want to challenge. Um and just just learning about I Going through the workshop and seeing someone's eyes get big when we start talking about the miseducation of the Negro and, and, how, and how on purpose that was, right? Um, a 19-year-old doesn't know that. And when he starts to understand that and when he starts to embody it and say, you didn't teach me this on purpose, he becomes a different person. Um, and or having someone in media being in this workshop and understanding the role that media has played in creating a narrative and a messaging for young black kids in America to think that they aren't worthy of success. 
if you're in media and you understand that history, now you can change it. So I'm a big, I'm a big component uh, advocate for that component of it. Like we, we definitely need to teach systems to these, to these young adults as they start to come out of the schooling system. So when they get into their professions, they can easily identify where I am. Oh, I'm in banking. Well, now I know the interest rates to my people are much higher than other people. I know the loans that are given out to small businesses aren't in the same rate as other. When you start to understand those things, you can maneuver and you can make a change and you can be impactful and influence the system that you're in. So I think um, that the teaching of the systems is, is very important for these young adults um, as, as they're coming out of, of school and, and going into their adulthood. Of course, all of us know that this may be the most controversial things we've been talking about, right? This, there at least half this country is completely against what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, probably more than half, Ross. More than- <laughs> probably more than half. I think you're yeah. being nice. <laughs> yeah. Certain, sta- certain states, it's the entire population. Yeah, but that's a good thing. If there's, if there's people are against it, it's because you're, you're pushing the needle. And you're pushing the envelope. And that's what we should be doing. Um, you know, revolutionary acts must come back. We, we, right. we must not be focused on just having innovative acts within a system. Mm. Uh, innovative acts are very cool and they're awesome. Um, but they are creating systems within a system. And sometimes we have to revolt. And uh, mm. revolutionary acts need to exist. But they won't exist if we don't teach kids about the systems that they need to be revolutionary against. You know, in the military during World War II, um, pilots used to say, if you're getting flack, you're probably over the target. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So if you're getting pushback, it's probably because you're, you're hitting some nerve, as you just said. Yep. So in our closing moments, I'd like to hear from both of you. Uh, any final summation, any things you need to say to sum up our conversation this afternoon or the mor- this morning? You know, me personally, I will say um, you, 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 you asked what gives me hope earlier. And I, I think it's very important that we end on a positive note. Um, what's, what, what inspires me, what energizes me, just like Greg said, is the young people that we work with. They, they paint a very different picture about our future than what, you know, society at large would have us believe. Our young people are bright. They're motivated. Um, you know, all, all, they're uh, concrete roses, you know, um, despite a lot of the challenges that especially the population we work with face, um, you know, with our support. And, and I would like to believe even, you know, with if we weren't in the picture, they are they, they are so bright. Um, that they are headed in the right direction and they will save the world. I believe that. I tell them that regularly. Well, I believe that as well. Amen. Um, man, what would I say right now? Um, God is love. And, you know, being a kid that came from the Bronx, lived in Baltimore, um, I've been around a lot and I've seen a lot. I would love to tell people that the world has lied to you. Mm -hmm. Um, There are way more good people than there are bad people. 
Um, there are way more hope dealers and people that want to change this world than there are bad people that want to destroy. I've met so many builders since I've been able to get into this role of community leadership. Uh, I never knew it was so many people with good hearts and empathy um, that, that just wanted to make a change of all colors and ethnic backgrounds and just it's just it's just amazing to be able to see it. So just to leave on a good note, man, there are so many good people out here that are doing so much good work. And just don't ever forget that. I love that idea of, of, of being a hope dealer. I never heard that expression before, but I'm going to embrace it and use it from now on. Yeah. Man. So you, you've been extraordinary, Greg. Uh, of course, I would expect nothing less than that from you and and Omar. Outstanding. Um, an inspiration for this whole community, both of you. So uh, we wish you well. And to our listeners out there, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been a provocative conversation, uh, one that's ending on a hopeful note. I hope that you hear that. I think you do. Join us next week on Let's Reinvent School for another provocative conversation focused on what's possible, not simply what's wrong with our schools. That's April 28th, next Thursday. Until then, let's move onward. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Let's Reinvent School. Tune in next week as we give you some more great insight into the state of the public education system. Until next week, class dismissed.